72 Voices is a project by 72 and Sunny, who are a creative accelerator with offices in Sydney, LA, Singapore, Amsterdam and NYC. This series champions the new generation of creative entrepreneurs in Australia. In the chats, we identify smarts and insights that we hope in some small way will inspire the next generation of Australian entrepreneurial success stories. Welcome to 72 Voices, the podcast series, with our CEO, Chris Kay, produced by our friends at Otis Studios. This week's chat is with Chris Warishina, co-founder of Pedestrian TV, which was Australia's most successful digital publishing startup and board member of Sydney Biennale. When you meet Chris, it's hard not to be impressed by his smarts and his drive, but more specifically, what he's already achieved as an entrepreneur. There are many lessons to learn from his growth story and how he views what can drive a successful startup through to what really is a well-managed exit. And hearing his vision for what could be next is really inspiring and exciting. Hopefully you get as much out of our chat as I did. Cool, well, let, let, let's start. So thank you, appreciate you coming in. Uh, so if I can just start with three questions. Uh, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? Which I know are really big, broad questions, but yeah, if we could 100%. start there. And I know you're at an interesting point where you're changing what you're doing. So yeah, if you can tell us who you are. Cool. Uh, so my name is Chris Wurisinha, um, or Krishan Wurisinha, which is my full name. Um, which uh, And what do I do? I suppose I have been a co-founder of a business called Pedestrian.tv, um, which is Australia's largest youth-focused publishing company. Um, myself and um, a business partner launched the business um, back in 2005. And uh, I suppose we spent 14 years kind of building up that business. Um, and then we ultimately sold that business to um, Channel 9, uh, who invested kind of and bought the first chunk of the business four years ago and then we sold the rest about a year ago um, in 2018 around the middle of the year Uh, and so what am I doing now I suppose I'm taking I'm no longer at pedestrian full-time so I've done that full kind of like exit out of the business Um, you know I'm still connected to a lot of people in there and you know still keen to see the brand continue to grow and prosper and thrive and you know I'd love my kids to one day be reading articles (laughs) on pedestrian and sort of you know seeing the news from there and it's quite interesting seeing the company from the outside Uh, but me personally at the moment I suppose I'm taking a bit of time and a bit of stock working on a couple of new projects uh, but mainly kind of trying to discover what the next big thing is and the big challenge that I want to take on. Cool. Uh, 2005, how old were you? So in 2005, I was 22. Okay. And why did you start something then? And like, what was the mission? How did you feel? Did you have a mission? So I think we just wanted to do something cool and different and take on an ambitious project. I think a lot of the... um, It's gotten lost a little bit with this whole sort of like millennial conversation, but a lot of the kind of criticisms of like Gen Y, which does fall into that kind of millennial um, age group, was that, that I think they kind of were overly ambitious and they wanted to sort of like be CEOs at the age of 25 and things like that. And so I think maybe, you know, kind of we probably, that probably described us, you know, yeah. at the time. Um, there was a lot of, you know, potential naivety when we kind of went to look to start the business, which I think is can also be a massive, you know, sort of blessing because you don't, you know, you're not talking yourself out of all the reasons mm-hmm. to do something. You know, we were kind of just like, well, how hard can this be? Like, you know, we'll just go out there and this, this, this will happen and um, we'd create the successful company. But obviously um, things 
aren't as easy as that. <laughs> and, you know, like it's um, getting people to buy into your vision and, yeah. you know, kind of finding sponsors for a, a kind of media product and building out a product, you know, all of that takes time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it was an ambitious project. Uh, we started working on it in kind of November 2004 when, was, when we had the first idea and that was to produce um, Australia's first free DVD magazine. So it was going to be um, a youth-focused publication about all the things we loved. So kind of what was going on in music at the time and, you know, kind of um, festivals and events and fashion and kind of, you know, DJs and music and everything kind of brought together. And we were going to kind of cut that together on a DVD and people would watch it kind of like a one-hour TV show. Um, So the idea kind of originally spawned from looking at what was happening you know, sort of in the magazine industry and kind of going, why isn't there a magazine style TV show or looking even back to things which were kind of in the early 90s in Australia, like Recovery, which was this really interesting yeah. kind of morning show that they did on, um, uh, I think it was Saturday mornings um, hosted by Dylan Lewis, where it was just like this, you know, very loose, very fun, very youthful presentation on TV, um, which you couldn't really get in the mid 2000s. Like no one was doing TV catered towards the youth market. You know, there was sort of Foxtel and three major networks and the kind of the most niche thing that ever got filmed was, you know, maybe like the Big Day Out, which, you know, was like the largest of all the music festivals. And so we wanted to kind of capture, you know, sort of emerging bands and emerging artists and kind of, you know, film them and take sort of, you know, whether it's their music or their fashions and things like that out to the world. Did you give yourselves a time limit? Uh, sorry, a time limit to succeed? So, yeah, we probably had like a couple of time limits when we were first starting out. I think the first one was... Um, how can we? How much can we pack into our lunch times and evenings and weekends? And once we kind of capped that out, that was one timeline. Yeah. Um, and so we found that we could do a lot of the behind the scenes pro- product work in our spare time, but you know, actually kind of do- going out and doing business development or finding clients had to be done mm-hmm. during like Monday to Friday, nine to five. So that was probably like that kind of prototyping stage. Yeah. That was a bit of a deadline. How long did that take? So, as I said, I think we started in kind of November of 2004 and then we launched in, well, we left our full-time jobs in late February of 2005. So, How did that feel? Because that's, that's obviously a moment that's like, okay, we're going in. Yeah, I mean, I think it felt, it felt good to be, like it felt exciting and good and like we were starting kind of like out in a new chapter. I think it was like 80% good, 20% maybe trepidatious. But we... We, you know, we we weren't earning that much. We were kind of working as media assistants, so we were like the lowest rung. Mm-hmm. So kind of, you know, going from being a media assistant to being a CEO seemed like a good thing to do. <laughs> um, and so, you know, why not give it a go? I think we felt pretty confident. Like the economy was good. It was pre sort of GFC. So we felt confident that even if it all went to shit, I don't know yeah. if I can swear on this. Yes, you can. Um, even if it all went to shit, then we'd still be able to go out and get like another job as a media assistant somewhere. Like, and that, you know, that experience of starting something, um, especially at that age, wouldn't be viewed as, you know, something that wasn't a favorable thing to do. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we felt pretty confident um, around that. And that's that's advice that I kind of give to a lot of people where it's like, you know, the best time to start is now because life mm. only gets more complex and the yeah. pressures on you only get, you know, kind of more. And, you know, we didn't have to worry about, oh, how are we going to meet, meet our mortgage repayments and how are we going to, you know, how, how are the, we going to fund, you know, all the kids' activities and, you know, all of this stuff. Like, you know, we were kind of um, single and, you know, kind of two young guys and not earning much money anyway. So we were used to kind of, you know, working on a shoestring. Um, yeah, which probably brings us back to that other d- 
deadline or timeline that we yeah. sort of enforce on ourselves was, was once we did leave those full-time jobs, how much money have we saved up to be able to last ourselves till we have to have a product out? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it also speaks to the time where nowadays the first thing that most people would think about is like, okay, we need to go out and get an investment. Yeah. Um, whereas at the, at the time, those conversations just weren't happening. I guess it was like post kind of, you know, dot com, um, you know, bubble and, yeah. you know, all of these conversations of like, oh, you need to find an angel investor or a seed round or do a series A, this, all of that, like none of that was happening. Um, and so the startup environment has obviously matured significantly yeah. over the past 15 years. Um, but back then we were basically like, you know, we've managed to save up $5,000 each from, you know, money that we would have probably just spent on a kind of European trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I guess we're not going traveling this year. And yeah. if we run out of that money, then that's it. And there wasn't any talk of like loans or this or that. It, you know, it was just um, basically that the clock was ticking and there was a certain amount of time that we had. There was a certain amount of things that we needed to kind of purchase and, you know, kind of yeah. flights to Melbourne and this and that to kind of meet with prospective advertisers. Uh, and then if that money ran out and we didn't have a product, we'd shut up shop. Do you think if that early stage ecosystem was around at that time, it might have changed how the company grew? It could have, yeah. I mean, I often say that, you know, we sort of bootstrapped the company, but potentially if if there was access to kind of money out there and, you know, we, I suppose we were decent at sort of selling the vision of the company. We managed mm. to kind of build something uh, and we managed to bring on early ad- advertisers. There is a chance that potentially we would have, you know, kind of maybe had a business that was, you know, that was allowed to grow quicker. At the same time, I do really value the discipline that not having investment gave us because I feel like, the natural way for a business to grow is to start with a small bank balance and then make it mm-hmm. become bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives you really good discipline around how, how you spend the money, how yep. you manage costs. Whereas I'd sometimes worry about like, you know, this kind of newfound, you know, way of a company starting where you start with the biggest pool of money you possibly can raise from people and then you spend it mm-hmm. um, and your bank balance is meant to go down and then you go out and you ask for more money. Because I think mm-hmm. that... You know, and and you see it sometimes as well, right? Where you've got companies like Snapchat on the kind of you know listed on a global um, stock exchange, but you know in their listing advice, it was like we may never be profitable. <laughs> and so, if that's the case, what what yeah. does that mean? Yeah, you know, as a business, like you know, if you've got the kind of external shareholders. So, yeah, look, I think um, it may have changed the trajectory of the business, the ability to kind of grow faster. Like we had quite a you know, now if you look at companies and they're sort of, you know, often it'll be like four to seven years and that's the difference from, you know, kind of starting out to a really significant event like a listing or a big sale or something yeah. like that. Whereas, you know, pedestrian probably took twice as long. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, that allowed us as kind of CEOs and founders to sort of grow into those roles a bit as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it would have been probably quite a baptism of fire to be kind of, you know, managing a million dollars yeah and 20 people and like you know a bunch of staff when you haven't had a chance to kind of really sort of you know build up those those muscles so to speak uh when did you realize on that journey that this could be a full-time job that you felt you were actually doing something was there a moment and again maybe it's on that timeline but was there a moment where you were like okay maybe we've actually cracked something well i suppose when we left our full-time jobs to do pedestrian full-time there was a 
that was that was kind of us going okay we're going to do this as our full-time job yeah. so there's definitely like a huge amount of self-belief that you need as a founder to be able to say that this thing that might only be paying you initially ten thousand dollars a year or fifteen thousand dollars a year is then going to be the thing that will grow and become mm-hmm. the thing that will sustain you for the rest of your life and potentially give you kind of you know a, gr- a great outcome you know off the back of it as well through some sort of you know exit event uh so yeah i mean i think we always bought into that idea yeah um i mean definitely like the f- there's there's milestones along the way when you feel like you're kind of getting traction so you know when you can first pay yourself a salary mm-hmm. that's always cool even if the salary is really low but building that discipline into the company um is is nice but when you're not the only employees is good so like yeah. you know, hiring your first sort of staff member because that means that you've got enough to subsist yourself but then also enough to you know kind of bring other people in and often those other those first few employees might be getting paid more than you are out of the business but you know kind of when they come in they free up your time and the business grows as a result that's when you kind of know that i, th- I guess the business is heading towards yeah something and and interesting we've had a few conversations with other people that talk about uh founders control which is that idea of when you let other people help grow your business you know was that an easy thing to do uh for you did, you know did you want to give someone else your baby and let them help grow it i mean i think most founders are pretty controlling by nature yeah, yeah. so i don't know how much freedom other people get to kind of you know especially those early stage employees to really run the shop i think yeah. you know kind of founders have to have a very you know almost like dictator style vision to really you know kind of drive things forward um i think you know kind of the thing that most good early stage employees at startups have is that 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 they're often very like multi-dimensional and so it's you know they'll you want people who have like a real can-do attitude and they can um really take on any challenge and Mm -hmm. so that might be packing boxes it might be doing a bit of like you know business development and then it might be you know kind of stepping in for like a a meeting with you know someone like quite senior and you know really like doing kind of uh that's the people who kind of worked for us in the early days really filled those roles and added a lot of value um would they all work in the business as it is today mm-hmm. probably not you know i think as the business starts to grow then you start to look for like kind of specialists who yeah. you know are really good at you know a more um finite kind of skill set yeah um, but um yeah and in some ways i think those early employees at startups are you know, really embody a lot of the entrepreneurial spirit that makes founders successful. Yeah. So. How easy was it to find that early stage talent? It, w- it was relatively easy. I mean, you know, we were we were building kind of a, a cool company and an interesting brand that, yeah. you know, was youthful and it had, you know, kind of great energy and was doing something a bit different. And so, you know, kind of the staff that we had in the early days were, were awesome. They were like, you know, creative and, you know, kind of, really living like the brand and the culture of what we'd created and um you know i remember like having you know we'd have arguments over like whether or not that's something pedestrians should cover or like you know it was very um quite yeah everyone was super connected to the brand and again i think that's hard to scale yeah um you know now the business you know runs really well as a business and the brand's still really strong and there's people who are super passionate about the brand but it's probably, you know, there's probably other people who are there and, you know, they're not so much necessarily like maybe massive advocates of pedestrian, but they are brilliant at, mm-hmm. 
you know, a skill set that they do. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's just the nature of a company kind of growing up and yeah. having to kind of hire from a wider pool of people. And it's also, you know, pressure on the company to ensure that you keep your culture as strong as possible so people, you know, can um, buy into that vision and, you know, know where the company's headed and know what it stands for. Um, and also, I think, know how it was created in the first place. Yeah. And just talk about culture a little bit. So how did you build that culture? Was it just from you two as founders, just as who you were? You know, how did you build the vision? How did you get the team to follow you on that journey? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of the, what sort of, you know, now is the culture of pedestrian um, came from what we needed to do in the early days to be successful. So, you know, like a word we used a lot, which I feel like has been killed a little bit because of like, Gary Vaynerchuk and the like was like hustle and you know things like that but um you know we never used crushing it but um (laughs) but uh yeah like hustle you know was something like we you know we really like tried to you know outwork people like you know we you know which isn't particularly it's that's not something that you know again you should scale like I think nowadays it's much more about like you know kind of finding the um uh, like you know work-life balance and yeah. all of that but you know in those early days like there was two of us the one thing that we felt was almost never-ending was like our time and yeah. so you know we would you know when we first released that first dvd magazine we'd you know shot every interview we'd researched every interview we'd filmed every interview ourselves we'd edited it ourselves we authored the dvd ourselves we sold all the ads ourselves we delivered the dvds to the stores ourselves like in the back of cars um including in sydney and melbourne like so it was cheaper for us to fly to melbourne and then deliver the dvds ourselves than to pay a courier company to do it um just like you know every single you know as well as then just all the running of the business so we um yeah like you know that kind of those that mentality is something we really bring in to pedestrian at the moment or like you know kind of for a lot of the business for that especially that first sort of seven years of the business we were really the underdog in the Mm -hmm. kind of you know we'd always be coming up against bigger media companies and bigger brands even in the youth space Um, but then it was around that sort of around the 10-year mark where we started to we became the leader in the category but we still retain that like, kind of you yeah, know, yeah. that hunger where yeah. you know you've got to put that extra bit of work into every pitch and you've got to have that bit of magic in the pitch that shows that you really you know care and want this mm-hmm. um, because that was something that was really evident in the early days and we never wanted to lose that yeah. so I think yeah making sure that a business is really stays connected to its DNA is important um, because you know that's that's what often separates the business from someone else out there right um you know businesses are easier than ever before to you know to start something similar like if you look at like a you know everyone's launching an uber for this and you know that uber app isn't that complex but the thing that separates them and their ability to kind of execute on that vision was just you know what they've you know how they've managed to um navigate that so was there ever a point that you wanted to give up um, I don't know if I ever wanted... I don't think so. I think there's been points that were really hard and there was points where we maybe felt like, you know, kind of, is this going to continue? But not a kind of, are we going to give up? Yeah. I think, you know, there was a point in maybe like 2007, we've been running the business for about two and a half years. We, you know, maybe had like six weeks worth of money left in the bank <laughs> or something. And, you know, we had like... And as opposed to other times when 
cash flow had been tight you know we had sort of things on the horizon or like pitches that we were going for but in this case we basically had one thing that could land <laughs> um one campaign so we were like we have to win this and so that can, that's where that sort of you know the hunger yeah like how do you like win this at all costs yeah and um yeah and we you know we did we managed to kind of you know get the campaign on board and you know like worked really hard to make it happen and then that was a bit of a turning point because then you know other campaigns came yeah. and you know we managed to keep growing but yeah I, I think of anything that um that pressure to and that kind of almost fear of failure um, is something that really galvanizes you and makes mm-hmm. you, um, you know, dig deeper and kind of keep going. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't think I ever had a moment where I said, oh, like I want to quit or I don't want to keep doing this. Yeah. yeah. And and then as you grow, the decision to sell, like what was that like? Because that, that's a, a real moment for entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, look, I think like... <sighs> For for us, it was like I don't think I've ever I've ever seen it as that emotional a decision. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was really like quite rational. You know, there's yes, there's the emotional emotional element of you know you've created this business and but you know like we'll always be a co-founder of Pedestrian, right? Yeah. Like we built that business. We spent 14 years of our life, you know, kind of building up that business and you want the business to kind of keep going and succeed. But at the end of the day, it's, it, it's a business. Like it's not like selling a child or something, you know, um, that's illegal. Yeah. Which I, I've never done that. <laughs> you know. um, so it's, um, yeah, like we, you know, I think for us a decade in all of the wealth that we created in the world was sitting in this business. Yeah. Um, I think as a lot of founders would probably know when you build something of, you, you know, on paper, you could be a millionaire but you're still earning like less than all your mates who went and started working in, you know, yeah. kind of normal jobs like at banks and, you know, lawyers and, you know, th- this and that. So it's a, it's a weird headspace to be mm. in. Um, and also I think, you know, we'd seen so many friends businesses go through like waves where they were like the hot, cool thing. And then, you know, they had a couple of bad months and all of a sudden, you know, they're facing bankruptcy or they're facing, you know, kind of like a, a, the, most bi- early stage businesses, the margin for error is so small. Yeah. And so after 10 years and growing every year, like our revenue and our profit, we felt like, you know, this is, this growth story is really nice. We still believe that the business had, you know, has a huge amount of growth left in it. But at the same time, if we have a bad year, you know, this could all go away. So yeah. we, we want to build something, you know, a bit more concrete off the back of this for the business. I think the other, you know, we were also looking at, you know, that crystal ball that, you know, we didn't look into when we started the business, but, you know, the crystal ball back in sort of 2014 was, and early 2015 was largely telling us that, you know, yes, we'll probably be able to still keep growing, but, you know, our competitors are now some of the biggest companies in yeah. the world and if you look at like where a lot of the advertising dollars are going like obviously yes google and facebook really headline that story where it's mm-hmm. like 80 cents in every new dollar that gets spent in advertising gets spent with them but then you've got like amazon getting into the game and you've got you know kind of other platforms like twitter and snapchat yeah. and all of these these players coming into it so i think you know we were looking at like the, there was storm clouds brewing on the horizon and we didn't want to be the one you know we didn't want to be the only ones in the boat um and then like leave this sort of 15 year career with like nothing to kind of show for it. Um, I think, you know, personally at the time I'd also, you know, I, I front depend 
you know, in contrast to who I was when we started the business, I was, you know, married, I had two kids. Yeah. Sydney's an expensive place to live. <laughs> like it's, um, so, you know, we wanted to kind of, I guess, unlock some of the value in the business while also finding a partner who could kind of help us grow long-term would be a good home for pedestrian, Yeah, you know, could give, you know, share our vision and, and who could potentially help us, right? Like at the time we were, you know, as a business, I think we were doing like $4 million revenue and like $1.4 million profit or something. Yeah, yeah. So the business was at a decent scale. But then when you looked at like the big media companies, like, you know, Channel 9, who ended up being yeah. the one to, to um, you know, buy the stake in Pedestrian, you know, they, they were t- taking a billion dollars worth of advertising dollars out <laughs> of the market. So, you know, we were always going, well, how do we move that forward to yeah. a billion potentially one yeah, yeah. day? And, you know, we didn't necessarily have all the answers for that. And I think, you know, that's the big challenge for a lot of the digital startups and the digital players in the market is like, how do you start to, you know, unlock those dollars that, you know, kind of go to um, broadcast media like television and radio and, you know, outdoor um, and do that at, you know, those levels of scale or maybe start with like that $100 million sort of mark. And so we... Yeah, we thought that Channel 9 felt like a good kind of good partner. And the other big part of their pitch, which I guess really resonated with us, was that we would be allowed to stay independent. So yeah. even though 9, you know, kind of owned a majority stake in the business, we put lots of kind of contract provisions in to make sure that, you know, we could kind of run the business independently, you know, kind of we wouldn't be moved into their office. We'd yeah. to keep all our own staff. And that's what they wanted as well because, you know, kind of what we were doing in the advertising space focused on the youth audience was very different from what you know the larger nine machine was doing uh and um yeah i think it worked out well for like all of us so and then you talk about you clearly grew up in the business and so you started as a 22 year old guy who worked every hour and then grew to having two kids and a wife how did you manage that transition and then the work-life balance so i mean the transition i feel like kind of probably happened quite organically to some degree um and the work-life balance was, I think I was lucky that we were, you know, sort of, so I'll, yeah, so my son was born in kind of 2009. Um, and so the business was up and running for about four years. So mm-hmm. I think around that time, we just sort of turned a corner where like we could comfortably pay ourselves a salary um, and we like, you know, th- we were probably at a scale of having about, I don't know, like maybe 12 to 15 employees or something. So yep. there's enough people there to be able to kind of, you know, manage things that, you know, I wasn't doing crazy, crazy hours. Like I think it was around that time that I pulled my last all-nighter, for instance, <laughs> in the business. Um, and yeah, and that was beneficial. I think it would have been really hard to be back at that startup stage yep. again and to do the startup stage in the way that we did the startup stage while having kids um i think there's you know and that's that's probably also where like investment money helps you know yeah. like I think yeah, yeah. if you're trying to start a business you know with a family then i think looking at you know raising investment dollars so you can build stuff from day one is probably the way to do it if you want to maintain you know your sanity and not end up and you know, your wife divorced. yeah so <laughs> it's um yeah look i think like you know but you've got to be very like committed to that as well and yeah you know i think moving yourself from being the person who goes who wears sort of, I'm going to outwork everyone as a badge of honor to someone mm. who goes, no, I'm going to like work efficiently and effectively during the day and be a good leader. And part of that leadership 
is leaving the office between 5.30 to 6 p.m. every day. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, something that is... Um, yeah, it can be a difficult transition, but something that's really important if you're trying to maintain that balance. Yeah, and then just jumping back, when you said you started, there was no really early stage ecosystem in Australia. How do you view the ecosystem now? So, I mean, I haven't personally gone out and raised money, but I yeah. mean, a lot of my friends' companies have, and I, I think it's I think it's in a good place for entrepreneurs. I mean, it yeah. definitely seems like there's no shortage of funds to invest behind great ideas and smart yeah. founders and, you know, kind of it's definitely leaps and bounds from where, you know, it was when we were starting out. Um, I, I don't know how sophisticated some of the early stage money is. I yeah. think, you know, there's some great VCs have had some great successes. Um, but sometimes when I see some of the companies that are being funded, I, I feel a bit like there's a bit of a question mark over whether there's just money flowing into people who are saying they're building the next Uber or the next yeah, Facebook yeah. without maybe like that due diligence around yeah. it. Um, and, you know, hopefully not too many people get burnt with um, investments that then turn sour because yeah. invariably, you know, most of those early stage investments will end up, you know, a complete wash. So, yeah, yeah look, I think I think it's in a pretty good place. I mean, I think, you know, the, the levels of money aren't as big as they are overseas, but, you know, it's it's still there and, you know, kind of there's no shortage of companies that are out there and they're being funded and, you know, and then they're receiving follow-on rounds. How do you so, think How do you think the world views Australia and its early stage ecosystem? I think, like, I think we're viewed reasonably well. I mean, if you look at, you know, I think I was reading an article about, you know, and I may or may not be right on this fact, so, you know, definitely somebody should fact check it. <laughs> but, you know, it was something like Israel's, you know, which is viewed very favorably, yeah. you know, as far as like non sort of Silicon Valley startup ecosystems go, you know, Israel's most valuable private company, private sort of startup company was like $1.4 billion or yeah. something. So I think there's been much more successful businesses out of Israel, but they're not private anymore. Whereas, you know, I suppose like Canva's still a private company and yeah. that's, you know, worth more, um, you know, than that. So I don't know. I think like it's viewed... Australia as a country is viewed favorably from the rest of the world. You know, I think we're viewed as a kind of, you know, almost like this kind of oasis and this place yeah. that people can go and get bitten by deadly animals and, <laughs> you know, kind of, um, you know, that has lots, lots, lots of like natural splendor and, you know, people probably think of like Chris Hemsworth and, and the like, you know, I don't know if people necessarily see Australia as like a bustling startup environment. Yeah. Um, but that said, you know, Australia has produced some, you know, really spectacular um, startups that have had a global impact um, and, you know, and some like world-class entrepreneurs over like a number of years who've made, you know, kind of um, their mark, you know, globally. Um, and do you just jumping in on that, do you think it's in the DNA in this country to be an entrepreneur? You know, like in America, it's all about having the American dream and the American dream is to own your own thing and, and make it. You know, it doesn't feel like we have our version of that or do you? Yeah, I... I don't think we've got necessarily this like kind of there's definitely this sort of spirit in in America of like you know it's a land of opportunity. Um yeah. I don't know if Australia necessarily has that built into our DNA. Yeah. Uh at the same time I think there is you know we are very supportive there is this like kind of can do attitude in mm-hmm. Australia which I think is really great for startups. So for instance, you know, when pedestrian started out like we didn't kind of face 
like the amount of people who kind of wanted us to yeah. to help us and wanted to see us succeed yeah. was really was quite cool. Like you know, we'd go and meet advertisers and you know, kind of that you got this sense that they wanted to see you be yeah. successful and people wanted to give things a go and they were yeah. open to new ideas. So I think that is, you know, kind of being in an environment where that's the case is hugely beneficial. Did you ever at any point think about moving overseas? I think that around the time when we did the sale, we probably had the choice of going, well, we've built up a successful brand in Australia. Could we, you know, we had a brief foray into thinking about, well, do you raise VC money potentially yeah. at a higher valuation and then say that you'll go over and take on, take on the world, um, you know, with the brand and grow it into, you know, what I guess would sort of challenge a brand like Vice or, yeah. you know, sort of MTV or Refinery29 or people like that. Um and, you know, that was something we, you know, kind of thought thought about, but at the same time, you know, kind of from, you know, where we are from, a, where we were from like a personal sort of life stage, also looking yeah. at the US as a market where, um, you know, kind of the, the media companies for better or worse over there were very well funded. And so, you know, I think we looked at it and probably thought that we'd just be spending the next 10 years of our lives constantly trying to raise money to yeah. keep up with everyone else. Yeah. Um, and that there's something special about being an Australian homegrown business, mm. especially when you're talking about something like media where it's all about content that connects with people. Um, and that's, you know, in some ways been one of the biggest advantages that we've had, you know, as yeah. like international players have come into the market, you know, pedestrian was always able to, you know, be that homegrown local voice. Like we weren't working with a, tone of voice document that was written in New York we were like working with a tone of voice document that could like evolve and shift yeah. you know with the audience that we were trying to speak to here yeah how do you help the next generation of entrepreneurs people like you at 22 you know what's how do you think the government should do that how do people like you who do that who've been successful so I think the government can there's a there's a lot of things that the government can probably do to kind of you know support entrepreneurialism you know kind of in the country like there's a lot of talk about well, there was a lot of talk about innovation. I feel like that's really died down, you know, kind of recently. Um, same government, different leadership. And I feel like they've moved away from, you know, kind of some of that, some of those conversations. Well, there's a, there's just, sorry, just jumping on that. I, I might throw another stat that needs to be stat checked at you. But there was a stat recently. Australia is the 19th most innovative country in the world. Uh, but going backwards. Uh, yeah. And so really interesting that you talk about that because it does feel like there's a moment in time now where we either choose to keep going backwards or how we propel ourselves forwards. And it's interesting, I think, when you talk about the government, how the government can play a role in doing that. Yeah, I was, I was, I was having this conversation earlier this morning where it's like there's, there's so much in Australia, like it has been for the last, there's been a lot of it for the last 20 years, I think at least, where everything's being looked at with like a three to four year window. So even yeah. things that are like are an absolute inevitability, like electric cars, right? Like, that's not, we're not talking flying cars, we're talking electric cars. <laughs> all the major car manufacturers are saying like, we'll be half electric by this day, we'll be all electric by this yeah. day. Like it's coming. You just need to go to kind of established markets like LA and you know yeah. things like that. And you can see it happening, but it still feels like we have a government that like doesn't like electric cars or like plays against electric cars. Whereas it's like, you know, which works if you're trying to get reelected maybe in three or four years. And yeah. you know, you're speaking to a base who are like, why would you buy an electric car? Whereas but it's not thinking about what's our cities and like our country going to look like mm. in 30 to 40 years because if that's the case, it's all going to be electric cars. So, you know, those conversations around, you know, infrastructure and not bowing to kind of 
news limited sort of scare campaigns yeah. or like sensationalist sort of headlines um i think that's lacking a bit like yeah. that sort of forward thinking and that's something that can really shift shift us when it comes to kind of innovation um you know in terms of policies you know that like there's there are beneficial policies that Australia has for kind of, you know, startup founders yeah. and owners. Um, yeah. I don't think they do a great job of marketing them. Like, yeah. you know, kind of um, there's really thriving groups on kind of, you know, Facebook, like Sydney startups and things like that. But you mm-hmm. don't really hear many people talking about like R&D grants, which, you know, kind of have been, you know, really supportive of, you know, and of a lot of the big businesses that have like succeeded in Australia. Yeah. The R&D grants been a really key part yeah. of that, that ability to do that. Um, you know, there's like the export market development grant for yeah. companies looking to kind of, you know, start to invest overseas. There's, you know, for founders that, you know, kind of look to sell their businesses, there's, you know, tax benefits and, you know, this and that, but they're not kind of really widely publicized yeah. or even known about. Um, so I think, you know, kind of the government, First of all, doing a better job communicating what it's got to that early stage environment would be important. But, you know, anything that they can do to help create more Atlassians, you know, yep. in Australia is beneficial, right? Um, from a kind of individuals like myself, I think, you know, I'm always open to meeting with kind of early stage founders mm-hmm. and I love kind of bouncing around ideas and giving advice. Are you a mentor? Or, you know, like do, do you do that formally? I think I, I don't necessarily have formal mentoring arrangements, yeah. but like I've got lots of people that I catch up with, yeah, yeah. you know, every now and then. Yeah. Um, then at the same time, I was, I was always surprised by how little people contacted me over the years to ask for that. And yeah. so... I don't know if there's other people who've been contacted. Hey, so maybe, like, there's, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just you, Chris. Maybe I just need to update my LinkedIn profile or something. Um, but yeah, I was surprised. I, th- I think that's the thing. Like, like almost there's there's very few entrepreneurs I know who, if they got a very well thought out mm. approach by someone, wouldn't at least Want to do a, like a twenty yeah. minute coffee or something. Yeah. Um, and yet, I don't know if there's as many people out there kind of reaching out to people and building that kind of why do you, you know, think network. that is what's the i think it's just it just feels like something that you don't you don't do or you don't yeah you know like or people think that you know kind of successful people uh haven't got time I for me know, yeah like yeah. you know they're too busy at like high tea or something like you know <laughs> but like realistically like their schedules and you know kind of um you know they've maybe got some a few more pressures on them than you know kind of on their time but you know again like you, you there's nothing that you'll lose from trying and so you know i think reaching out and especially with you know sites like linkedin and the like yeah. the the um you know it's so easy to get in touch with people right like you know it's not that hard to connect with people it's not that hard to put out a you know kind of yeah. request and um yeah i think sort of just people being a bit more savvy and you know putting that you know kind of this that social fear behind them yeah, yeah. Um, you know you can connect with some really interesting people and also make sure that you're connecting with people who you're there to kind of connect with from an advice and a mentorship as opposed to maybe the first approach being, oh, can you invest in my company? Sales, you do yeah. This? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think people like being, feeling like they're teaching and they're yep. contributing as opposed to they're being kind of sold to. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. How do you uh, decide what's next? Yeah, so we were talking about this at the start of the podcast. I yeah. think, yeah, the interesting thing when we started Pedestrian was, you know, it was like a, cool project that kind of got out of hand yeah. right like we had our first meeting at like the beach road hotel and you know we like you know in bondi and we just sort of sat down and we started like throwing around you know let's do this and that and you know kind of you know we weren't looking at like market size we weren't looking at yeah. sort of uh you know opportunity costs and exit plans and all of that stuff <laughs> whereas now i think 
you know, I'm trying to sort of build up this criteria for like the next big venture that I jump into. Yeah. Um, which is, I suppose, like I wanted to deliver some social good. Like I yep. want to be able to kind of, you know, make sure that the thing that we're creating is driving positivity in mm-hmm. the world. And, you know, that feels like something that I'd really like to, you know, kind of focus on. Not to say that pedestrian doesn't, you know, yep. I think pedestrian is, you know, entertaining. It brings some lightness into people's lives. For a lot of young people, it is a way for them to stay engaged and, you know, in touch with the news. Um, you know, I think the political leaning of pedestrian, you know, means that it, it fights for issues that, yep. you know, should be fought for. Um and so I suppose, you know, like I, I like the next thing that I do to have a similar level of social good and maybe even take it a step further mm-hmm. and actually have the, you know, kind of what is being created physically positively impact people's yeah. lives. Um, but then also, you know, be an ambitious project, be something that could be a, you know, a solid and a large business off the back of it. Because yeah. I think, you know, the skill set that I have is that I'm a good entrepreneur and I can you know, build things that, you know, like are meaningful and I can take all of the like lessons that I've taken from pedestrian and apply them you know, yeah. to something new. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah. And, you know, hopefully something that kind of, you know, I find fun excites me, <laughs> you know, every day to get up and like, you know, kind yeah, of yeah. take on. So where do yeah. you look for inspiration? At the moment, I think I'm looking for inspiration from not looking at a whole lot of stuff. Like I yeah, think there's yeah. definitely periods in pedestrian where, you know, coming from a media company, you have to be constantly tuned into the news and the news cycle, and that can get a bit exhausting. And yep. so I've been really enjoying just not being in the news cycle. Yeah, yeah. I've been enjoying not listening to podcasts. <laughs> Definitely listen to this one, but just, yeah. Um, I think, I don't know, I was just, I was consuming so yeah, much yeah. information that actually just like removing myself yeah. from it. Probably um, opens your mind even more. Yeah, sometimes. Like, yeah. I think just sort of taking time to think, trying not to check my phone very much. Yeah. Um, that's a discipline that I'm trying to build just at the moment. Um, but like, yeah, so I mean, inspiration wise, I think, you know, traveling, kind of yep. exploring the world, seeing what, how things are being done in different places. Yeah. Um, you know, that's interesting. Um, having like hobbies and things that take me out again of like the day to day. So, yep. you know, I still play basketball twice a week. <laughs> you know, I've started teaching myself, you know, and um, playing guitar, like yeah. just things like that, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. help to kind of like, take your brain into kind of different places um, and, you know, meeting with friends and other entrepreneurs and founders and, yeah. you know, people doing interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's been, I also recently joined the board of the Biennale of Sydney. So okay. that's, that's been fun as well. And kind of, you know, it's exposed me to this whole other world yeah. that, you know, that's kind cool. of, um, is, yeah, something that I've really enjoyed. Do you have a timeline for the next thing? No, not really. Like, I think it's, you know, when it's, there's part of me which kind of thinks that I'll probably like try to write out the, the rest of the year yeah and then kind of you know maybe jump into 2020 with something you know big <laughs> and exciting but you know if the, if everything falls into place and it happens sooner yeah then you know maybe it's something i'll start looking at sooner as well yeah cool well look mate i really enjoyed that chat yeah no problem uh, thanks so much for having really, me really really interesting to hear your story so thank you yeah anytime thank you up next we have dr kate adams owner of bondi vet hospital and founder of Australia's most well-known gift and card tech business, Thankly.